So we want to join, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. And this is the last day of 2023. And uh, it was a good year. 2024 also, that's right. I heard someone say we survived. That's right. Okay, good. And we're still in a pause from our study in Romans. We're going to go back to Romans, Romans 13, probably in a couple more weeks. Just a few other things we want to talk about. And today, I'd like for us to look ahead to the new year, 2024. And probably many of you who've been around for a while know that I do this pretty much every year, either the last Sunday or the first Sunday of the uh, new year. Um, you know, I usually give a message like this. And, um, and, you know, sometimes it's good just to kind of step back and take a look at our vision. Vision as a church. Of course, we don't know for sure how this new year is going to unfold for us. What it has in store for us, do we? You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the world. We don't know what's going to happen with our church, with individuals. And so I'm not here today to share predictions. Okay? So, uh, uh, I, it's more about what I'm observing and how it appears God is unfolding his purposes. I want to share some of that and how we should be responding. So what can we expect in 2024? I think two things in particular, and we could probably say the same thing for 2025 and 2026. We can expect more birth pains over the next few years. Now let me explain. Matthew 24 verse 8. When Jesus is talking about. You know wars and rumors of wars. And earthquakes. And kingdom coming against kingdom. And, and verse 8 he says. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. And I think that's probably the season we're in. Yes Jesus is coming soon. We're excited, and this is the season of birth pains. And as you know, well, if you've been around a wife or a mom or anyone who's gone through birth pains before, typically they start off kind of slow and infrequent. And what happens? They get more and more intense, right? And they also get more and more frequent. And I think that really describes what's been happening today. Because all throughout history, there's crises and tragedies. But have you noticed in the last three or four years, it seems like every time you turn around, there's something else happening. You know, there's, uh, you know, terrorist attacks. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, political strife. There's, uh, there's, um, uh, you know, the war in Israel. There's the whole pandemic. You know, that really was totally unexpected. Something that none of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. And all these things can kind of shake us a little bit, can't they? But have you noticed, and we've talked about this before, they seem to be getting more and more frequent. And we can expect that. Because before his return, the birth pains are going to get more frequent and expect them to be more intense. First Peter Four, verse 12 says, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. I think especially for Christians, God is preparing us. And sometimes there are things that happen. Well, Lord, it seems like every time I turn around, there's something new happening. And what First Peter is saying, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. As if some strange thing was happening. So for committed Christians, we can expect the fiery ordeal. It's part of his testing, part of his training for us. Okay, the second thing I know we can expect, we can expect the great harvest to start picking up momentum. Now, we've talked about this before. The scriptures are very clear that in the last days, there's going to be a great harvest, a great revival that's going to spread to all the nations of the world. Now, of course, there have always been revivals. But this one is going to be an explosion of growth among the church taking place. And it's going to touch all nations, all tongues, all peoples, all tribes. Expect that more people will be coming to Jesus more and more even this next year. And I'm excited about that. You know, uh, uh, already in different parts of the country, of the world, we kind of keep hearing of this. Uh, something that I've um, heard, I've been trying to kind of get a, to verify this by several sources, and I haven't been able to do it so far, but it seems to be legitimate. But, you know, several weeks ago in Gaza, there was one night when supposedly a little over 200 men received a dream of Jesus, the exact same vis- dream or vision. They started talking about afterwards. And they've all given their lives to the Lord. That's in Gaza. And we can expect that as the days approach his return, the great harvest is going to start. It's going to start bubbling and bubbling. And then it's going to just explode. It's not going to be millions, but it's going to be hundreds of millions of people coming into God's kingdom. And it's going to happen in our lifetime. I really believe that. And next year, it's going to be a little bit closer. It's not all going to happen at once. But I think we can expect this whole great har- harvest to begin to pick up momentum. Okay, so how do we prepare? How do we get ready for what's ahead? Especially since we don't know what's going to happen exactly. Like who could have expected COVID to happen in 2000, what was it, 2020, you know? And in fact, I think probably the thing that we can expect is the unexpected and the unknown. And, uh, and I know that kind of makes us, makes us nervous, doesn't it? But I think God is telling us, trust me, trust me, because I have a plan. I'm unfolding it. You're a part of that plan. Emmanuel Fellowship is a part of that plan. And trust me. That's what I keep hearing God say to me personally. There are many times in the scriptures, especially when God's word is talking about the end of time, Jesus coming back. What does he say? Be ready. Be alert. Be sober minded. Those are the three three things that are just repeated over and over and over. 
And actually, I've concluded that our vision as a church is not so much what are we going to do, but who are we going to be? Now, in the past, and I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a good one for planning. I mean, every day of my life, I always kind of have a list of things I want to get done. Every week I want to get done. Every year of things I want to get done. And, but you know what? I've learned, I know it's taken a long time, that I can't, I can't plan out what God's doing. Because he always has a different twist to things. Now, I can sense kind of what he's moving us toward, but I don't know details. And neither do you. And, um, but one thing I am concluding is that it's not so much what am I going to do this year, is who am I going to be? So I want to share a diagram that I've used for years to describe our vision of who God wants us to be. Some of you probably remembered it. Uh, I haven't shared it in probably a number of years, so a lot of new people probably don't. And of course, with all illustrations or diagrams, there's, there's limitations, right? But I think this will really help us. And again, I want to say that preparing ourselves for what God wants us to be is really the best preparation. Okay, so in this diagram, let me get my little, you know, the foundation has to be biblical discipleship. As we are committed to biblical discipleship, and as that grows upon that, we can experience biblical community, koinonia, church life, as described here in the scriptures. And then upon that, a foundation of these two things, then we can begin to bear fruit. Actually, it says bear much fruit, fruit that reproduces. And I want us to just kind of talk about this a little bit, this diagram. Now, uh, one thing I could, we could probably say is that, and why don't we get to the next uh, diagram here, I think, that we may start off like this, but as biblical discipleship grows, this can grow, and this can grow. And then a few years later, hopefully, this has grown to be even bigger. And therefore, biblical discipleship. And so, therefore, biblical community. And therefore, you know, bearing fruit can, can um, you know, be built upon that. Now, if we try to, and believe me, a lot, of, a lot of Christians, a lot of ministries, a lot of churches try to, we are called to bear fruit. And that's true. And they try to build this big, you know, uh, uh, Big ministry and its own a very small foundation of biblical church life or biblical discipleship. And so what happens if you kind of do that? And I think we got another slide here that can show that. It happens this way. If we have a little bit of biblical discipleship and we try to start building all this on top of it, eventually what's going to happen? It's going to topple. And that's why it's so important Biblical discipleship, you know, our own walks with the Lord. That's not the end of it, but that's the foundation. Okay, so let's talk a few minutes about biblical discipleship. God has.
has called us, called his followers to be disciples, to discipleship. He doesn't call us to a new set of beliefs. Let me say that again. He doesn't just call us to a new set of beliefs. That's what a lot of Christians think. Oh, yeah, well, I used to believe this and now I believe this. Well, that's good that you believe that. But it's more than just believing. It's embracing a new life. An entirely different life. A life that where his discipleship and our following him affects every single area of our life. At work, at school, our finances, our free time, our our families, every aspect of it, our hobbies. When Jesus was here on earth, of course, part of his purpose was what? To come to die for our sins. But he could have done that, you know, earlier in his life, but he didn't do that. He gathered a group of disciples around and he taught them. And he said, listen, this is how I want you to live. And he, not only to the disciples, but to the multitudes. He gave some, actually some very radical teachings. And then he modeled the type of life that he wanted us to follow. And uh, in fact, by the way, one of the reasons we are doing the gospel study is because the teachings of Jesus are really the foundation of the Christian life. You know, sometimes it's easier to go back to the Old Testament or go to other parts of the New Testament and almost leave out the Gospels because sometimes the Gospels, you know, Jesus says things that kind of make us uncomfortable. But that's the foundation. And that's why, like in house church, we're going through three volumes of the Gospels. And that's why we're doing it. This is the second time we're going through it. And you know what? We'll probably repeat it again in five or six years because it's not important. So what are some of the key teachings of Jesus? And, you know, come to house church, you kind of learn all about them, you know. And we talk a lot about them on Sunday mornings, of course, too. But, you know, there's denial of self. Taking up your cross. If you want to find your life, you have to lose your life. We think, wait a minute. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it is. It's a faith walk, isn't it? Because as we die, life, his life springs forth from us. Then he talks about things like being a servant. In fact, he says, you know, we should be a servant to everyone. One place he kind of says, you know, actually a couple places he says, you know, the greatest person in the kingdom of God is the one who is the greatest servant. And that's not the way it works in the world. Because in the world, the one who has authority exercises authority over that person, you know, over others. They lord it over. But he says, that's not, that, that's, not, that's not the way we do it. And then he starts talking about loving one another. And uh, he introduces this new word, new word for love, agape. Now, there have been a lot of other words for, for love. You know, a word that's for brotherly love, filio. Uh, there's romantic love, eros. There's a lot of different types of loves. I think there's like six or seven in Greek. But there's one type of love, agape love, 
which means God's type of love. It's completely selfless. It only does things for others. And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, talking to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Agape love. Even as I have loved you. So as much as Jesus has loved us, we love one another. So th- these are radical teachings. And then he talks about giving and being generous. And uh, that we were created to give. Of course, faith is required to, to give, right? But he, he talks about that. You know, he talks about, you know, not just loving one another, but he says, I want you to love everybody, even your enemies. In fact, he says, we talked about this in Romans 12, you know, blessing our e- enemies, praying for them, serving them, loving them. Really radical. A lot of what Jesus talked about focused in on the heart, not external things. In fact, where many of the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they were focused in on external things, like what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so they had so many rules and regulations that if Jesus healed and did something good on the Sabbath, they got offended. And Jesus was always pointing his disciples back. It's the heart. It's the heart. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about things like, um, you know, you've heard it said that you should not murder your, your neighbor. But I tell you that even if you kind of are thinking in your head, you know, um, raka or idiot or empty head, you're committing murder already in your heart. And so he's, he kind of takes it from the externals. He takes it to the heart and it's a lot more radical. Then the things he said about prayer and abiding in him, trusting him for all our finances and needs. You know, he says, you know, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Don't be anxious for what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Trust me. I'll take care of you. And uh, he talked about staying away from every form of greed. I mean, so many things. And as we grow in these areas, and by the way, these are lifetime pursuits. Then we can begin to practice true biblical community. Because unless we're growing and practicing the teachings of Jesus, basic discipleship, we can never have true community. It's not possible. I remember when I was in my 20s and even 30s, uh, community was a big thing among a lot of churches. And a lot of churches ended up just imploding over it, you know, because they just could not, they couldn't handle it. It was too much. And I remember that, in fact, that's when I first felt like God started kind of giving me this illustration that I'm talking about, that unless you have a good foundation of biblical discipleship, true Christian community cannot take place. Why? Because it requires preferring one another, life of self-denial, serving one another, agape love, those types of things. So anyway, uh, this is biblical discipleship. And as this begins to grow and be established among us and in our lives, built upon that, we can begin to experience biblical community or biblical church life or koinonia. You can call it by a lot of different things. 
Now, you might say, well, why is that so important, you know, biblical community? I mean, you know, uh, can't we just kind of skip that and go to bearing fruit? Actually, it might be a lot easier because biblical church life means, you know, I'm getting built as living stones one to another. And sometimes that can be kind of uh, stressful, painful. Well, what it requires is denial of self, you know. And uh, no, we can't skip this because biblical community is absolutely essential. Because it's through the church that God has chosen to reach the world. The church is described by here. Not just a church building or a church organization or a Sunday meeting. But a church is operating and, and, and growing and performing like God's word says. That's how we're going to reach the world. And not only that, but that's how we grow. God's designed it that a lot of my spiritual growth is going to be, it's going to come through my brothers and sisters. Now, believe me, sometimes I wish I just had a, just a direct pipeline to God. God, why don't you kind of change me and transform me? And he says, I am, but I'm going to use your brothers and sisters to teach you. And I must say, I prefer if it was just you and me. Because I know he's always compassionate. I know he's always merciful. I know, you know, I've walked with him. But he said, no, no, no. Because I've designed my body to be a special way to reach the world. And by the end, when he comes back, the church is going to be performing like it's supposed to be. It's going to be the church in all her glory. So we can't skip this step. And... I mean, there's so much in the scriptures about this, how you can see this. In fact, many books in the Bible, Romans, we're going through Romans now. Notice how the first 11 chapters of Romans deals with our own personal life. You could call it personal discipleship. And then all of a sudden, in Romans 12, he starts talking about now, now that you've got this down, start practicing it for one another. And so he starts with all sorts of exhortations and talking about the gifts and how we should be performing together. And then by the end of Romans, we're going to see the emphasis turns to bearing fruit around the world. Ephesians takes that same, you know, pattern. So this whole pattern of the biblical discipleship, biblical community and bearing fruit, it's a biblical concept. We see it over and over. Um. Maybe we should also kind of mention right now, we are not, we are still growing in biblical discipleship. We're still growing in biblical community. It's not something that, oh, check, did that. Check, we got that down because we never really get it down. It just keeps growing and growing. And to the degree that biblical discipleship happens, then we can start building upon that as the foundation. So we've got a lot to learn as a church. But this is our vision. It doesn't mean where we're at. It's just talking about where we're going. Um, So anyway, there's a lot in the scriptures about biblical church life or biblical community. We've talked a lot about this before. God gives a number of specific instructions for us as living stones to be built together together into this 
holy, uh, full of glory temple that he's building. Principles like forgiving one another. You know, remember Peter was kind of stumped by this. Jesus is always talking about forgiving. Finally, he said one time, well, how many times do I have to forgive in one day? Like seven times? And he's kind of saying, is it like indefinite? That's what kind of the word seven means. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, not just seven, seven times 70. And Peter just thought, oh, no, I've always got to be doing it. That's right. We always have to be forgiving. Overcoming offenses. Things about agape love, serving one another, the one another's. We've talked about this, that there are 32 different one another's in the Bible. Love one another, serve one another, exhort one another, bear with one another, pray for one another. And there's about another 28, you know, uh, you know, uh, most of those you can't even do on a Sunday morning gathering. There's one you can greet one another. You know, we can do that, but most of them we can't. You have we have to have this interaction throughout the week, throughout the days. Uh, Using the gifts that God has given us. We talked about that in Romans 12 just a few weeks ago. Colossians 2, 2 talks about our hearts being, I like this picture, being knit together. I mean, I don't know much about knitting, except I know it's got to go this way and this way and this way. And that's what God's doing with our hearts, where we can't be torn apart. Unity, our oneness in heart, our being one in spirit, one in mind. So much in the scriptures about biblical church life. The best preparation for bearing much fruit is a commitment to biblical discipleship and a commitment to biblical community. What about new people who kind of come in? They might not understand or might not know. Maybe they have any, maybe they're just coming into the Lord. We model these things to them. We disciple them. And those who are genuinely born again will learn and follow the examples. So this has been our focus in Emmanuel Fellowship, these two areas. We still have a lot more to grow. But I feel like in the next several years, God's going to be moving us more and more into this third area. Without moving on, that doesn't mean we leave the other two. You know, uh, and uh, because it happens, bearing fruit happens as we practice and as we live out these other two. So let's talk a little bit about bearing much fruit. And I have a feeling God's going to be talking a lot to us in the next several years about this. But let me, uh, let me just mention briefly a little bit about bearing fruit. First of all, Jesus wants us to bear fruit. Um, all through the teachings of Jesus, we see this. We are instructed to bear fruit, good fruit. We see it in his teachings. We see it in quite a few of the parables, don't we? If you haven't seen it, tune into house church. You will see it. But not only does he want us to bear fruit, he also wants us to bear much fruit. Let's kind of look at John uh, 15, verse 2. It says, 
Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. Or verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Or verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's really the proof of discipleship. We don't just kind of get discipleship and, oh, enjoy the presence of God and, and then maybe kind of enjoy our, the, the, uh, the, the love and the fellowship of the brothers and sisters. No, he wants us to prove our discipleship by bearing fruit. Okay, so we see this again over and over in the scriptures, especially the teachings of Jesus. Much fruit, much fruit. Sometimes it's more fruit. Okay, so he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. And he also wants us to bear fruit that remains. Look at verse 16, John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. In other words, it's something that's going to be permanent. It's, it's not going to be something that fades away. It's not something that's here for a little bit and then, well, it's gone. It's something that remains. And also kind of like he says he has appointed us for this purpose. This is our life mission, to bear fruit. That's what it says here. You did not choose me, but I chose you for what? And appointed you. He chose us and appointed us that we would go and bear fruit. By the way, the go is an important part of this too. It means we have to, we can't be sitting down. We can't be passive. We've got to go out to bear fruit. I think another part of fruit that remains is really... A fruit that reproduces. So he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit that remains. He wants us to bear fruit that reproduces. A lot of places I could show this. Let's just look at one. Let's look at Matthew 13. This is a parable of Jesus. It's the parable of... um, the sower. And probably most of you know this. But it says in verse 23 at the very end. And the one whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is the man who hears the word. And understands it. And indeed bears fruit. And brings forth some a hundredfold. Some sixty. And some thirty. Now the Greek configuration there of those words where it says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold means 30 multiplied times one another, or 60, or 100. And, and really, you think about, that's the way a fruit is, right? You take an apple tree. An apple has what? A, a healthy apple tree might have hundreds of apples, right? And every one of those apples has what? A handful of seeds, and, uh, and every one of those seeds can produce another apple tree. 
that produces uh, hundreds of other apples that have, you know, a handful of seeds. It multiplies. And that is what God is calling us to do. We are to be reproducing. In fact, everything God's created reproduces, right? You know, I mean, plants, animals, fish, everything, you know, uh, The possible exception might be Christians. We don't really reproduce that much. But that's God's design, right? We're to produce other Christians or other disciples. We're to produce more workers, more house churches, more church communities. God has called us to reproduce, to multiply. God is calling us in this direction. And so when we start bearing as we move into this next area of bearing fruit. And I'm not saying we have. Yeah, we've been bearing fruit already. But th- this is going to become a focus. And it's going to be f- fruit that reproduces itself. That's why I, I think it's very likely that there's going to be more house churches. There's, there's a need for more workers, more leaders and pastors. There's, I think, I believe, really believe that God wants us to start other church communities. But we have to be committed to biblical discipleship. Can't do it without that. Actually, John 12, 24, it probably describes biblical discipleship as well as anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Oh, by the way, there's that phrase, much fruit again. But it has to die first, right? We have to kind of go through the dying of self, becoming a disciple of Jesus. And as we do that, that produces the fruit. So we have to be committed to biblical discipleship. We also have to be committed to biblical church life. Maybe one passage we can kind of see this very clearly in. Acts 2. The follow-up of the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 47. No, maybe verse 42. The church started that day with 120. We read verse 41. 3,000 people got saved and added to the church that very day. That's reproducing, by the way. (laughs) Okay, and then it says... They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. All those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, not Sunday after Sunday, but day after day, Continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. This describes biblical church life. But look look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And because of all this, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fruitfulness comes out of biblical church life. So where are we to be bearing fruit or reproducing? 
It starts here in Summit County, in our towns, in our jobs, at school. But it also, and we know this from talking about missions, we also are commanded to bear fruit among the nations. We're called to both. Amen. Let me just kind of end in one passage in Song of Songs, chapter 2. Um, some of you know, I've been kind of, last couple of years, I've been studying and meditating on this psalm, song. And this is basically a story of the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Calling forth his bride. Who's the bride? We are. His church, right? To come and, and to, to press on. No, this is just one little passage. Verse 10. My beloved, this is the bride talking. And, you know, the beloved is the church, Jesus. Jesus is the church. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Actually, he repeats it a little bit later. That's what God is telling us to do. Arise. What does arise mean? We kind of get up. We, we kind of, we stop just kind of doing what we were doing. We arise and we come along. And then he says in verse 11, for behold, the winter is past. The winter is over and gone. What is he saying here? There's a new season coming. And I think that's what God wants to tell us. The flowers have already appeared in the land. It sounds like springtime, right? The time has arrived for pruning the vines. The voice of the turtle love has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs and the vines and blossoms have given forth their fragrance. And then he says it again. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Jesus is calling us. The winter is past. There's been a season. It's been good. It's had its purpose. He's been working deep inside of us. But he's saying, behold, there's a new season. He's calling us to go forth and bear fruit. Basically, he's saying, there's a harvest out there. He said that several times to his disciples. And his disciples said, where's the harvest? I don't see a harvest. What did Jesus say? Open your eyes. Look around. It's there. The fields are white with harvest. And that's what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've been doing in our lives especially concerning biblical discipleship, church life. Lord, we thank you for the way you've been bearing fruit in us and through us and among us. But Lord, we're hearing you call that we need to arise and go forth and to come. That there's much, much more that you have for us. Lord, we may be bearing fruit, but you're calling us to bear much fruit. Lord, we confess to you that we cannot do this in our own. But Lord, we want to respond to what you're saying. And Lord, as we look forward to 2024, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's going to be some surprises. There may be some difficulties that we hadn't planned on. There's going to be a lot of blessings too. There's going to be fruit being born. Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. 
And Lord, that means we need to become who you are calling us to be. Lord, we ask that you would do that work. And Lord, we thank you in advance for this year to come and all the things that you're going to be doing. Lord, you are unfolding your purposes at a faster and faster rate. We thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, that in spite of ourselves, you want to include us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.